latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Gonzaga head coach Mark Few, Minnesota head coach Richard Pitino. But before we get to that, I want to break down my Power 36 that debuted on the site on NCAA.com on June 4th shortly after the early entry withdrawal deadline from the NBA on May 30th. Now, there is one major player that's still out there. That's Stanford's Reed Travis. We don't know where he's going to land. He withdrew from the NBA draft. He's done with Stanford, got his degree. He's a free agent, if you will. He will immediately help whichever team he goes to, whether that's Villanova, Kentucky, Gonzaga, who knows where. There's a lot of rumors out there, but wherever he lands... He is a power player who can be a double-double machine and can immediately help that team potentially compete for a national championship. He may end up on a team that already has the goods to do so, but he'll just be another player that certainly could help them try to accomplish that goal. So I went with Gonzaga number one. You'll hear from Mark Few, uh, in large part because they didn't get touched by the early entry deadline. They didn't even have players test it, which kind of was shocking. Uh, They've got the goods that you can see on NCAA.com, and you'll hear the interview, so I don't have to go into great detail at this juncture. But there's, look, a handful of teams I could have easily put at number one. I went with Gonzaga. I thought about Virginia, uh, even after they lost to UMBC in that uh, epic 16-1 game. But they essentially have their entire team back. And, look, Killian Tilly was out for their Sweet 16 game against uh, Florida State for Gonzaga. DeAndre Hunter for Virginia did not play in that loss to UMBC. So you have to remember that there was some factors involved in some of those upsets that occurred in last year's tournament, last season's NCAA tournament. Kansas, uh, look, if they get the kind of year out of Diedrich Lawson that Bill Self thinks, and he's the Memphis transfer, then they easily could be the number one team in the country, win the national championship. But we cannot dismiss the value of losing Devontae Graham. Player of the Year candidate, Big 12 Player of the Year. Yes, they've got a guy coming in in Quentin Grimes. They got Udoka Azabuke back, which is huge, as he declared for the draft and withdrew. But they still got a lot of pieces that they're going to have to wait to see how they all develop because of the experience factor. Duke and Kentucky are loaded, absolutely loaded. Talent-wise, they could be one, two, especially Duke with the top three players in the class of 2018. But they lack overall experience. Doesn't mean they can't win the title. Kentucky actually has more coming back, certainly with Quaddy Green and P.J. Washington and Nick Richards. But uh, that's why I paused on putting them at the top. Tennessee returns their core with Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, who withdrew from the draft. Nevada loaded with uh, Caleb and Cody Martin and Jordan Caroline coming back. They got the impact freshman and Jordan Brown. I've got them as high as number five. I had Tennessee at four. Duke at six. If I mentioned Virginia, which I just did, they had them at three. So I'll just do this in order for you. I get Gonzaga one, number two, Kansas, Virginia three, Tennessee four, Nevada five, Duke six, Kentucky seven, K-State, which returns, uh, excuse me, North Carolina eight with Luke Maybach and Nasir Little. K-State, which returns almost their entire team from the Elite Eight. They're at nine. Villanova. At 10, after winning the national championship, but they lost Dante DiVincenzo and Omari Spellman, let alone Mikhail Bridges and Jalen Brunson. But they still got a lot of talent, certainly led by Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. So then I've got Auburn at 11 as the co-SEC champs. They were thrilled with what they got back from the NBA early entry process. Loyola Chicago, not a fluke. Get to the Final Four, I got them at 12. Syracuse, Tyus Battleback, got them at 13. Virginia Tech. Loaded for Buzz Williams at 14. Michigan State, heavy hit, though, from the NBA early entry with Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges. Nick Ward comes back. 
They got Josh Lankford. Cassius Winston got them at 15. Nebraska. James Palmer Jr., Isaac Copeland back, got them at 16. Michigan, despite losing Mo Wagner, Duncan Robinson, Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, I still think with Charles Matthews coming back, 17. Florida State, Elite 8 team, 18. Uh, Clemson at 19, their core backcourt is back. Terrence Mann for the Seminoles, by the way. Purdue gets Carson Edwards, put them at 20. Edwards decides to withdraw from the draft. West Virginia, they've got uh, one of the most menacing front courts in the country. With uh, uh, Kanate coming back and West and Ahmad. So West Virginia is 21. Indiana with Romeo Langford coming in to Bloomington to go along with Juwan Morgan. I've got them at 22. TCU gets Jalen Fisher back, 23. Mississippi State, all four of their guys that declared back, 24. They went to the NIT uh, finals, uh, final four there in New York. Wisconsin, Ethan Happ returns. They've got a healthy Demetri Trice and Kobe King and by the way, they also have Brad Davison, who was healthy after his shoulder surgery, and he was phenomenal last season. Minnesota, 26. You'll hear why I have them that high from Richard Pitino. Marquette, 27. And they've got one of the best scorers in the country, Marcus Howard. LSU, Tremont Waters. I got them at 28. Waters, one of the underrated freshmen in the country last season. He returned. Washington. Noah Dickerson comes back. They could be the pick in the Pac-12. I got them at 29. Buffalo, upset Arizona, lost to Kentucky in the round of 32. I've got them at 30 out of the MAC. My last six, UCLA gets Chris Wilkes and uh, Chris Wilkes back. They did lose Welsh and Holiday, but I got them at 31. Florida, losing Chris Gioza, the senior, is going to be a major hurt for them. Jalen Hudson, though, did come back, so I got them at 32. San Diego State. Jalen McDaniels, excuse me, and Devin Watson. One-two punch right there, 33. Oregon, I want to wait and see how Bobo plays for them, but I've got the Ducks at 34. Cincinnati was a hit losing Jacob Evans and Gary Clark and Kyle Washington, but I think Jaron Cumberland certainly will be a major player for the Bearcats. Got them at 35. I can't dismiss any kind of Mick Cronin team. And rounded out, I got Davidson at 36. Kellen Grady, remember that name. He is an early entry type player coming out of the Wildcats. Now we're a lot of different teams, whether it was Texas Tech uh, that I thought about putting in there, I easily could have put in there, Penn State. I decided I hemmed and hawed. Iowa, uh, you know, Marshall after what they did to Wichita State. So there's plenty of candidates that certainly could be in this Power 36. This will change maybe over the summer, certainly in the fall, but gives you a little bit to, to sort of debate and think about here in early June after the early entry deadline for the NBA draft. So let's hear from my number one team right now in early June, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Gonzaga head coach Mark Few and uh, Mark, I don't think I shocked the world here because I feel very confident in my selection, in my pre-pre-pre-preseason Power 36. I got the Zags, number one, based on experience. So Gonzaga, number one, over the talent at Duke, over the talent at Kentucky, even Kansas. They got a lot of new players, guys that were sitting out. Because look at past history. You guys went to the Final Four two years ago, experienced team. Villanova, two of the last three seasons, experienced team. North Carolina, experienced team. Michigan, experienced team. I love the experience on your team. What do you think of me selecting you guys number one? Uh, well, a couple things go through my mind here. Uh, first of all, it's... In June. 
<laughs> yeah, in June. Yeah, that, that that would be one of them. Uh, I think there's there's a lot uh, that can happen between now and June, or excuse me, from June till uh, you know November when we really get amped up and get going. We do have uh, some really really nice uh, pieces coming back. We do have a lot of uh, experience coming back. But I would, you know, I, I would say there's a, probably a whole group of us you could throw into a uh, hat and any one of those teams that you just mentioned and probably a couple more you could pull out and, and uh, uh, try to project as a, as a number one at this, is at this time. Yeah, and then we'll just see. Look, you could make a lot of arguments. I've seen them across the board from various people who are putting these kinds of things out. But you know what's interesting with your group? Certainly, I mean, Kansas has got some really, really nice uh, – you know, players that sat out, they have players returning, and, and obviously, you know, with the success that they've had and Bill's had, uh, you know, the, that that's one that steps out, at least in my mind, a little bit. And, and uh, but certainly the ones you you mentioned, and and uh, to be honest with you, it's it's great to be uh, to thought of, uh, to be thought of in that light, and and we appreciate it very much. But then, you know, when you have a mature team, I think they even understand that. It, you know, there's there's all kinds of work that needs to to be uh, to be done and and to really get going on, and so uh, we're definitely in that process right now. All right, so help me out here because everyone declared for the draft, it seemed, and went through the process, and there was no harm in doing that and seeing if no. you could get to Chicago, get workouts, and yet for some reason, Rui Hachimura, Killian Tilly, and Zach Norville, all guys that easily could have at least gone through the process, chose not to do so. Why is that? Well, I think every situation is certainly unique to that particular player, uh, that particular uh, family, uh, you know, where they're at in their career, uh, you know, how, you know, what are the initial projections for them and, and, and literally Andy, what they, what they want. <laughs> There's so many, you know, some, some want to be a top 10 pick. Some want to just, get drafted some you know want the attention of going through the you know what you just said the process uh you know some of the things that we have heard now i mean are starting to you can actually hurt yourself if you're not going to go through the i mean if you don't have both feet in within all intentions of you know getting in the draft and and, and you know and, and and turning into a professional i'm not so sure you know, this, this feedback from the pros, you know, that you need to have is, is probably all that good as far as, you know, helping you down the road. Those are things that can be, can be given to you, you know, before you expose everything, your height, your weight, your medical, your working out and things like that. Sometimes I think having a little bit of a mystery might, might help you more so than just, uh, you know, full disclosure on, on every aspect. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that tide turns uh, moving forward. Uh, we had great communication with Rui and, and, and Tilly and, and what they wanted. Obviously Killian's situation was different than Rui's and uh, Killian was hurt. I mean, he got, he got hurt prior to yeah, our last forget game. That he, he not even got hurt prior to your last, he, you were in the locker room thinking he yeah. was going to play against Florida state. Yeah. He, it, in that matchup uh, in the Sweet 16? Uh, yeah, yeah, against Florida State. And, and, uh, and it was tough. That was something all the years of coach I've never had to deal with that. I mean, you walk out on the floor, 
he was upset and obviously our players could see that he was upset and it kind of, you know, emotionally kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails. But, uh, but anyway, he, so he would kill him would have been able to go through all the, the workouts or the combine or any of that. So, you know, that, that certainly factored in, uh, in his situation, you know, uh, I think in, in Rui's case, Rui, Rui's had a plan and he knows, and he knows where he, he needs to grow and where he needs to develop. And, and, uh, he's kind of refreshing. He's one of those guys that, that really values the whole college experience and everything he's doing and all the fun he's having and, and all the exposure he gets, uh, from that. And, and, uh, you know, he, I think he has an understanding that there's, he's still got a little, little bit more developing that, uh, needs to be done. How would you describe the difference though, from one year to the next where you have a player in Zach Collins, yeah. Uh, who helps you as one of one of the pieces that helps you get to the national championship game, but was not, you know, a starter, a major player. I mean, he was a you know key piece, but wasn't the ultimate star. He leaves. And then a year later, when you could have lost one, two, three guys, potentially you lose none of them. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's just it's funny. You get calls and people ask, you know, <laughs> how did you guys handle all your and it's like, well, the year before we lost two guys, Nigel, oh, Nigel right. came me. out early. Yeah, so Nigel came out early and Zach Collins came out early. And again, it was it, it was all good. It was, you know, everything was communicated. And, and in those particular cases where where those players and families uh, were with what they wanted and and uh, were you know they were with their development and uh, what they valued they they chose uh, you know to jump into the uh, uh, professional ranks um, and and so every situation is unique but yet from last year you know I mean if you get Nigel and Zach back we're probably one of the preseason favorites last year <laughs> you know to back to a final four and play for a national championship but uh you know so now this year we got these guys back and, and you know with our other pieces uh you know we're still hopefully looking to maybe add add another if we can through the transfer route or pick up a player late here and and uh see but uh yeah this is a good strong group we have coming back all right so a couple let's knock off a couple of these guys first of all the development of Rui Hachimura I was with you guys in Japan when he committed, if I'm not mistaken, for that game. And, you know, still was sort of learning how to play that year he sat out. Uh, from that point, from when you first saw him to what he has become, how do you assess his development? Well, I think I think he's just been on a total growth plane from that point. So it's been fun. It's been fun from a, a coaching aspect, you know, to see the type of impact that, that college basketball, that coming to Gonzaga – can have i mean he's just grown uh incredibly uh physically skill wise emotionally you know intuitively x and o wise everything across the board so uh it's been fun he's a he's a wonderful kid to just to deal with he's just got this gregarious personality and smile that just lights up a room whenever he whenever he walks in and and uh you know, I, I think he's got a bright future. I, I think right now he's on track to have a have a great uh, uh, year, and and I think people are going to really notice a difference just from where he was in March to you know to where he is right now. Quite frankly, in what way? Uh skill, uh, beginning to understand 
just, okay, I can impact the game, man. If I really apply myself, I can really impact the game in a variety of ways. It's not just scoring, but, you know, he had, he had a tendency to just kind of float and cruise at times, defer uh, at times. And now I think he's, he, you know, again, with maturity and, and you got to understand, you know, where he is from. There's very much, uh, it's, it's a very cool aspect that we seem to lack here in America, quite frankly, is respect. Respect for people that are older than you. Respect uh, for people that maybe have more experience uh, than you, That uh, whether it's on a team or in an organization. And, and so he came in with, you know, with that trait. And so it's a great trait to have, but obviously, you know, we're trying to get him to not defer as much and to, and to not, you know, maybe uh, look at himself as, you know, well, those guys are older than me, so I need to kind of wait for them to make the first move or, or do this or do that. So he, he's working himself through that. Obviously, his skill package has grown uh, immensely. And probably more important than all of those aspects I just talked about is assimilation of the English language is, is you know, eons better than it was. Uh, Killian, it seemed like he got more aggressive, hunted more for his shot, uh, did not defer to what you're sort of saying uh, when he was healthy last season. How much has that contributed to his development? Yeah, now Killian, I mean, the, the way Killian shot the ball in the league tournament, I mean, we, as you know, we've had some unbelievable shooters up here, we're going all the way back to Richie Fromm. To, you know, you think of Wiltshire, you think of Kevin Pangos, uh, you know, Gary Bell, uh, just guys that can really, really, really shoot the ball. And I mean, Killian, I mean, he made I think 13 straight threes in our league tournament, which is just crazy. It's just a crazy uh, number. He, his development then will now be to you know to continue to to work on when guys switches screens and try to take away from uh, you know his pick and pop and his ability to uh, uh, you know stretch the floor and and uh, you know he's working hard on that he's he's now healthy and we're back kind of his next step is getting him stronger and you know kind of working some things off the bounce and and being able to score in a variety of ways um, so uh, yeah obviously Killian's he's got a great future ahead of him too and and a real uh area of growth still untapped zach norville hit some big shots in that ohio state win in the round of 32 uh yeah he hit them all year yes yes Mm -hmm. what has it been though in terms uh you know his development where you've seen that where he is not afraid to command that shot take it and make it yeah well i mean that's just him i don't i don't we can't take credit for that that is (laughs) that's kind of what he was born with or his parents and, and high school coach, Nate, you guys uh, did a great job with that. He's not afraid. And he showed up at Gonzaga not afraid. He's a, he's a gunslinger and uh, a brash, uh, the, no moments too big. And, uh, you know, that's a great quality to have. Yeah, uh, he's, he hit a lot of big, timely shots for us. Uh, I think the next step for him is just maybe cutting out some of the other not so good shots that he took uh, during the year and, and, and beginning to kind of trust himself uh, with the ball off the bounce. I mean, I'd like to see him kind of evolve almost into a, uh, a Brunson type, just how patient Brunson was in the lane and, and strong and getting a two foot stop and, you know, and, and 
sitting down and create for others. Uh, I think uh, uh, Zach's capable of that. I think he's going to hopefully make a big jump defensively for us and, and uh, you know, not just guarding the ball, but uh, uh, on the defensive glass, that's kind of what we need uh, next out of him. So, I, I mean, I think there's some big expectations for him going into next year also. You know, Josh Perkins is at that position where I just rattled off all these experienced teams, including yours, where there's been that steady point guard, that junior or senior. Uh, what has Perkins delivered for you to this point and what he can continue to do so? Well, he's 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 putting together a career here at Gonzaga where, I mean, he's going to end up probably in the top three, you know, in a lot of categories here career-wise, which is amazing when you think of the great players that we've had and the careers we've had here. And I think, you know, if we're really talking experienced guys coming back, we should probably talk about him first. And, and he's going to end up – now, he had off-season uh, shoulder surgery, so he has not been able to do any basketball things at all. So I think – I'm hoping where the growth is going to show with him is, you know, just his maturity with dealing with different situations on the floor and how he reacts to them and, and how he – you know, reads and and uh, uh, the decisions he makes there. But man, he shot the ball incredibly well. He's his his assist to turnover ratio is, has been climbing every year. Um, and gosh, at one point last year, I don't know if anybody was shooting the ball as effectively as he was in the year, especially in November and early December. So uh, hopefully, you know, he'll get through the the shoulder rehab. We get him back doing that and then just the maturity of being a fifth year guy will be a uh, huge for us brandon clark uh he's the last one i just want to touch on obviously there's a mm-hmm. little bit of hype on him what have you seen in workouts to this point uh he's good he's a really really good player he uh you know i think he surprised us with just how skilled uh he was and how he moves and uh i mean he's somebody that is definitely going to have a big impact uh from day one and you know that can help us in a variety of ways i mean he, he can really it's a quick jumper he can really get up and block shots he he's a very good uh has not has a nice touch uh, around the basket but has also uh helped himself to stretch his shot all the way out to the three line and, and uh and I think he can get down, move his feet, and, and help us guard and, and switch, you know, a lot of screens. Uh, so that gives a, that'll give us another forward that can switch things. All right, so every year your schedule is loaded. Uh, the Maui Invitational, you know, I've got you guys and Duke in my top ten. you got San Diego State. You've got uh, the Auburn. I mean, Auburn. Auburn should be They're very be good coming the top back. The SEC. Arizona's going to be still there. Illinois. Uh, the thing is loaded. So we know about With that. With no Chaminade this year. I know, I know. So all eight Division One. You picked up a game against, if I'm not mistaken, Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, home and home with North Carolina. That'll be fun. I, I, we've never, I've never taken my team into the Dean Dome, so that'll be a, a, a great to, to go experience that. And the challenge of that will be great, but to get them back in the kennel, I think will be really cool for all the West Coast fans. And also picked up a game against Tennessee down, yep, down in, in Phoenix, Phoenix, which I think Tennessee is, gonna, is primed to have a, a great year uh, this year. And then we have to travel to Creighton. Um, Never you know, they played us. Uh, yeah, no, no, great uh, home uh, support and and uh, have really 
uh, you know, really been in the mix uh, as of late, and, and uh, you know, we'll see if we're going to add uh, anything more, but that's a lot. Uh, well, don't forget, <laughs> as is right you got now. the return game with Washington, and the Huskies going to be picked in the top three in the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, yep, that's true. Yep, yeah. <laughs> so just throwing that one out there, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, no you know, question. I mean, they're definitely going to head for a good year. Uh, before I let yeah. you go, Mark, uh, I asked Jay Wright the same question a couple weeks ago. So Villanova, two of the last three Final Fours, uh, they win a couple of national championships. You guys were in the Final Four two years ago. You have two smaller Catholic schools, opposite ends of the country, Top five type programs year in and year out at this point, top ten, whatever you want to describe it, but elite programs. Why do you think that is? I mean, I would say, why wouldn't it be? (laughs) Well, this era era of like everything's football, you know, and you've got two programs that I think you could argue are two of the most established elite programs you know, in the country from, quote, smaller schools that are not in a, you know, football conference? Well, I mean, I, I would just argue, Andy, that th- that narrative that is just being pounded into everybody's head has been driven by the football conferences <laughs> and the people whose networks spend millions of dollars uh, televising those football uh, conferences, so they they have a vested interest to or vested interest to, you know, continue that propaganda, you know, on down the line. So, I would just say, yeah, I mean, I yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, why not? Uh, the the coaches and the staffs and the cultures have been in place for a long time at Villanova and Gonzaga. And they're they're pretty rock solid, and, and so they're not a mass fluctuation from top to bottom. If that makes sense, uh, and the culture is is very much embedded uh, at, at both places. So uh, uh, you know the recruits come in and understand that, and it's handed down the seniors or the juniors or whoever the most experienced guys handed down to the next guys. Uh, great fan support. Uh, great institutional support at the highest level. You have everything you need, and uh, uh, you know those are those are you know what makes you know stability in college basketball. If you look around, you know who who's really stable in college basketball right now. I mean, Carolina's always in the mix. Duke's always in the mix. Kansas is always in the mix. Michigan State's always in the mix. Syracuse people want to count them out, and boom, there they are. They're always in the mix, and it's. There's continuity with those uh, head coaches and staffs, and there's uh, cultures that are uh, uh, established there, and and uh, great fan bases, and and that's what it's all about. So, uh, yeah, I would just say makes total sense at Gonzaga and Villanova to me, <laughs> and I think it's great. I think it's in some cases, I think Jay would agree. It's 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 easier that, uh, you know, you're not dealing with the football and all that. And everybody at Gonzaga and everybody at Villanova is, is uh, pulling the rope in the same direction. Well, Mark, I appreciate it. Uh, and I know you're just going to embrace this number one ranking that I just threw at you in early June. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope it's not the kiss of death. <laughs> I've been good uh, luck for the Zags. Did, did you throw? Hopefully, you threw it to Villanova last. Uh, year. I, I did at the beginning of the tournament for sure, but that you know mm-hmm. who didn't. So I had that right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Mark. Yep. All right, Andy. Take care. Coming up next here on March Madness 365, Minnesota head coach Richard Pitino. Yeah. 
Now joining me here on March Madness 365, Minnesota head coach Richard Patino. And uh, Richard, I put out my way too early preseason Power 36, and I, like last season, am very high in the Gophers. I put you guys at number 26 because you're going to be healthy, and I feel very confident in this team is going to rise back up to where I kind of we thought you guys were going to be pre-injury and suspension a year ago. Um, how optimistic are you that you've got a team that could be a top 25 type team and compete at the top of the Big Ten? You know, I'm really, really excited about a lot of the pieces. And I think people sometimes forget to see the the big picture of last year. When you lose four of your top six, uh, you're going to be significantly different. And I think that for whatever reason, people get bothered when coaches talk about injuries. Um, you know, but I've never seen anything happen to a team like it did with us. I mean, to lose Eric Curry before the season, to lose Reggie Lynch and Amir Coffey right in the middle, you know, right at the beginning of the Big Ten, Dupree McBrayer really uh, toughed it out. He was not able to practice the last two months. And Nate Mason just had surgery on his hip. Uh, so we were really, really banged up, and it was very, very evident. But if you think about our team, we've had some guys win a lot of games in this league uh, who are going to get back healthy. I mean, you look at Dupree McBrayer, Amir Coffey, Jordan Murphy, Eric Curry. Those are four players who were significant contributors on an NCAA tournament team, a team that won 11 games in the league. So uh, I'm excited about it. I really am. I think we've got, you know, we got a lot of new guys that are going to have to learn. I mean, we added Brock Stahl, who's a really, really good transfer from Milwaukee. Our freshmen are going to have to, uh, you know, be able to contribute right away. But that they're going to have to take some time to grow and learn. Uh, but overall, I'm very, very excited about this team. So let's take one at a time here. Uh, let's deal first with Jordan Murphy. I mean, he was a double-double machine. It seemed like everyone was throwing their name in just to at least go through the process, see if he could go to Chicago, get some workouts. Why didn't he do it? You know, it's interesting. Jordan's a different kid. Uh, he's an analytical kid. He's going to think everything through. He's smart. And I think that he knew, you know, you know. I mean, it, it certainly is good. And if he had wanted to do that, I would have supported it. Uh, but I just wanted him to be comfortable with whatever, whatever he wanted to do. So I think he knows that he's got a little ways to go. Um, you know, he's got to get a little bit quicker. He's got to continue to develop that outside jump shot, you know, but I think it was one of those things where he knew, okay, I want to come back. I want to finish my senior year. I want to have a great year. You know, we really, we had really, really high expectations for that team last year. And to finish the way we did was, it was a tough pill to swallow. So I think Jordan wants to come back, finish this thing the right way, get his degree, and then hopefully go on and play professional basketball. Uh, I'm just going to go down the line of those four guys, Amir Coffey. Uh, where is he at in his recovery and what kind of impact do you think he'll have next season well i i thought that amir coffee you know he was all freshman as a freshman obviously and i thought that he was one of the better uh players in the league and then i thought that he was going to have a terrific uh big 10 season and I'm, unfortunately he got hurt but you're looking at a guy who is six eight versatile uh you know he can play to point he can play to two he can play to three um he's a matchup nightmare and when he's healthy he's as good as any player in the league so you know, he'll be back in the fall. We'll, we'll take our time with him. He won't be able to practice much over the summer uh, from a contact standpoint. He looks great. I, I think he's going to have a terrific junior year. You know, and, and it was difficult for us when we lost him. He was a guy who played the most minutes in the Big Ten as a freshman. So he was a major part of our team. So extremely important to get him back because he's very, very talented. Eric Curry. Eric Curry was a guy to me, you know, he played 
for a five seed in the NCAA tournament, played 24, 25 minutes a game. I loved Eric Curry. I mean, I, I would go back and I would watch uh, the games, and, and it seemed like he was in at the end of some big games for us. Um, you know, I put him at the five. He allowed us to be versatile, to really, really pass the ball, uh, can knock down the three. You know, so it was unfortunate that he tore his ACL, uh, but he looks great. He's healthy. Um, you know, we'll slowly bring him back in over the summer. You know, more than anything, I think physically he'll be ready, but it's that mental component where we got to get him comfortable. Uh, but I think Eric Curry will have a terrific, terrific sophomore year uh, now that he's, you know, he's a redshirt. So Dupree actually was, you know, he's on the team all season, obviously, in terms of, you know, playing, but was never fully healthy, certainly in terms of practicing. What's going on with his sort of off-season recovery program in, in terms of also his impact next season? Dupree McBrayer did not practice the last two months of the season. And, you know, NBA players can do that. College kids cannot do that. Uh, so, you know, he was really, really struggling. But the doctors and our trainer did not think that it would necessarily damage it anymore if he continued to play. He just needed rest. You know, he, he had kind of a grade below a stress fracture. He had a stress reaction. And we just had to rest him. So it was really, really hard. I mean, that was a difficult few weeks there to coach. Um, you know, and even in the Big Ten tournament, he was really, really hobbling. Um, so he was kind of limping to that finish line. We've given him a lot of rest. He did not practice in the spring. He's another guy. We'll bring back next week, but we'll slowly bring him along, um, you know, to make sure that this doesn't flare up again. Um, you know, but I, I've thought that Dupree has been one of the more versatile guards that we've had. He just needs to get healthy. Uh, and when he does, I think that he can bring a lot of different dimensions to our team. Yeah, I don't know who these people are, Richard, because it was so clear. I mean, you guys were uh, a Big Ten title contender early in the season when you had your full team. You lose Reggie Lynch suspended. You get injuries with Coffee and, and, and Dupree. Uh, I mean, it was clear that you were not the same team once you got into the Big Ten. How hard was that for you uh, to sort of have to basically be coaching two teams throughout the course of the season and one that was clearly not as complete or talented as the one you started with. It was really hard, you know, and, and anytime you go through certain things throughout the course of the season, you evaluate, you know, your coaching, your program, your recruiting, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm not so sure how many teams in college basketball could sustain what we sustained. And it's difficult because I try to always be open and honest with our fans and our media, but nobody wants to hear it. Uh, so that part of it's hard. So for me, it was all about just getting our team to continue to believe. But but the difficult part, like you said, Andy, was I felt like we had a, a Big Ten contending type team and it just fell apart right in front of us. You know, no fault of anyone on the team. Um, and it was just getting our guys to not feel sorry for themselves. But it was so clear and it was difficult to practice. Uh, so hopefully we don't have to go through that one again. All right. In terms of schedule, because you've got a team that's going to be very experienced, uh, a team that certainly, you know, should be an NCAA tournament team. As I said, I think a team that's going to be near the top of the Big Ten. What have you put together on games that you can control? We know the ACC Big Ten Challenge just came out. You will be at Boston College and going against uh, Kai Bowman. So, I mean, that'll be a challenge on the perimeter. But what are the games that you've set up that you can control? You know, it's it's interesting. And trying to figure out how to put your team in a position to make the NCAA tournament um, is hard. But and scheduling is probably the most important thing you can do. And so I looked at last year, and I really, really studied it. And it just seemed like the NCAA rewarded teams who played a tough schedule. 
And it's not necessarily about who you lose to. It's about who you beat, you know, and that's kind of evolved and changed. So we looked at it and we put together, I believe, the toughest schedule that we've had. And um, we've actually just uh, agreed to play Utah at home to start a home and home series. So you're the first one to know that. Um, we haven't announced that officially yet, but that's going to happen. Um, we're playing Oklahoma State in um, U.S. Bank Arena where the Vikings play. Uh, we're going to play Texas A&M in Vancouver, and then we would play the winner or loser of uh, Washington or Santa Clara. And then we've got at Boston College. So you're looking at those five games. I mean, those are really five very, very difficult games. Uh, but those are great opportunities to put yourself in a good position to go make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and the U.S. Bank Arena obviously is the home of the Final Four which uh, will be in Minnesota next season. I don't want to get way too ahead of myself because, I mean, obviously playing at home would be phenomenal. That's a ways away. But was that part of the thinking also for them just to sort of that they have a prep game, if you will, in the arena? Yeah, pretty much so. I mean, they they wanted us to be a part of something. I I think they're going to do a a two-game event with it. Uh, I don't know who's in the other game, but I think it's it's more than anything is is being able to showcase – that the Final Four is coming there, um, you know, to be able to talk about it, be good for our community, be good nationally, um, you know, as a reminder. And then obviously a little bit of a dry run just to see how it all works. So I'm excited about it. It'll be interesting, um, you know, to play kind of five minutes from our campus in a football stadium. Uh, you never know how that'll go. So hopefully we get a good turnout for it. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys are not, I mean, I know it's going to rotate, but you're not in the Gavit games next season, right? We are not in the Gavit games next season, no. Right, okay, so that rotated. Um, in terms of the conference, you know, Wisconsin, like yourself, major injuries, uh, Demetri Trice, Kobe King, they were out, that changed uh, their team. Uh, Brad Davison playing with a separated shoulder. Uh, they're going to be much improved. Uh, Purdue retained Carson Edwards, so they've got maybe the potential Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, so that'll give them a, a player that certainly can be up there. Romeo Langford commits to Indiana to go along with Juwan Morgan, who came back. Michigan still has a couple of key guys from their Final Four run. Michigan State gets Nick Ward back. Uh, Nebraska returns Isaac Copeland and James Palmer Jr. Uh, so they could be potentially one of the favorites in the league. Uh, this league, I think and I'm not chilling here just because I also work for the Big Ten Network, but I, I think the depth of the Big Ten will rival uh, what we've seen over the last couple of seasons. I mean, I'm not even mentioning yet Northwestern, who I think will be improved as well. Uh, you know, I could continue to go down the list. Penn State still has some key guys despite losing Tony Carr. What's your assessment of where the Big Ten will be next season? It's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I, I can't believe it, but I'm going on year six in this league, and Obviously, Michigan State's always, um, you know, they're going to be at the top there. They do a terrific job of recruiting. Coach Izzo's obviously a Hall of Famer, Michigan as well. Um, I I do look at Indiana, um, you know, as a potential really good team. I mean, I thought Archie did a really good job with that team last year and just kind of building his culture, building the foundation. Well, now he adds some really good pieces, got a really good front court coming back. Um, You know, Nebraska – will be a little bit like we were going into the year. A lot of guys back, high expectations, but I think Tim Miles does a really good job. Uh, Penn State, obviously, to win the NIT. I mean, losing Tony Carr will hurt them a little bit, uh, but they'll still be really good. Wisconsin will get healthy. I look at Iowa's an interesting team. I mean, because Iowa's friends a great coach. They had, they've got some really good talent. Uh, so I think they'll be able to bounce back. And, uh, you know, there's a there, there's a fine line between a good season and a bad season. I think Iowa's pretty close as well. Yeah, I mean, because last season, uh, only four 
made the NCAA tournament. A lot of that had to do with scheduling and balance in the league where, you know, Nebraska didn't get any of the top teams at home. Um, you know, they had some missed opportunities in the non-conference. Penn State's best wins all came against the same team in Ohio State. Uh, you know, it was sort of a, it's a, it was an unfortunate, but it's sort of a, I think, a more of a unique season. How much you anticipate that we're going to be sort of back to where we see the Big Ten getting, you know, five, six, seven uh, type teams that uh, will be in contention for bids. I thought it was a perfect storm, like you said. I mean, I, I think that if we don't, um, you know, get decimated, Nebraska beats us at their place. That's a quad one win. They're in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, so that imbalanced schedule, it, it's just it's hard sometimes um, just to figure it all out. But I, I think the Big Ten is going to bounce back in a big way. Um, you know, we just got to that depth of the league's got to improve a little bit. But like you said, I mean, Wisconsin dealt with a lot of injuries. We dealt with a lot of injuries. Iowa dealt with youth. Uh, Northwestern dealt with some injuries as well. So I think we'll bounce back, have a terrific year, and uh, we'll see a bunch of teams in the NCAA tournament next year, and hopefully we'll be in it. And, Rich, before I let you go, the 20-game schedule for the Big Ten, uh, the ACC will go to that next season. How do you think that will impact the league? You know, it's a, it's a, it's – Another game, another high major opponent. And I think that like, like, like college basketball is trying, I think, and again, you never know if it's going to change uh, the metric to how to make the NCAA tournament, but they want higher quality games. Well, if you add two more Big Ten games, it's great for our fans. It's another quad one, maybe quad two opportunity. Uh, so I think it's good for everybody. You know, I, I think that college basketball has tried to figure out the non-conference portion of it. I, I think that Big Ten, ACC, SEC, Big 12, when, you know, Pac-12. When the conference starts, it's terrific. But I think it's better to get more quality opponents versus each other. So I think that the Big Ten going to 20 games can only help all of us. And it's uh, it's going to be challenging, but it'll be great for our fans. And I think it's going to get more teams in the tournament. Richard, we appreciate it. Hopefully everyone continues on their road to recovery. And, uh, and you guys uh... – have a season next season, which I know we'll talk a lot before, them, but uh, where everything goes smoothly, no injuries, and you guys can reach the potential that I know that the Gophers can next season. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, you can go to our NCAA.com platform to download our podcast. You'll see it embedded in a number of different stories. Of course, you can go to Turner Sports Podcast to get our podcast. It's on iTunes and everywhere else you find podcasts. March Madness 365. We're covering the sport all year round. Thanks for listening.